0: On today's show, we're going to talk about properly pricing your maintenance agreements. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Welcome to the audio version of Cracking the Code. Now, this was originally a video show, so if you hear us talking about something related to an image or any other visual element, you can see what we're talking about by going over to egi.org slash show and see what we're doing there and cracking the code. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. In this week's Q&A, we got some questions about maintenance agreements. I want to share that with you folks. Uh, I'll just read the question here from the page. It says here, I've been watching your videos on planned maintenance agreements lately, and it got me to thinking about my service agreements and how should I price them do you have any advice? Well of course we have advice because that's what we do around here and we have one of the nation's leading experts on this topic, Mr. Gary Ellix. So we're going to hear from Gary in this week's teaching moment. So in this week's teaching moment you're going to hear from Gary Ellix and he's going to cover a ton of topics with respect to pricing your maintenance agreements. He's going to be talking about break-even or price-for-profit models. What do you want to offer? single year or multi-year? What tasks and time will you perform? Travel times, materials needed, and of course, commissions. So let's hear from Gary now and dive deep into this topic.
1: Hi, and welcome back to EGIA Contractor University. Today we're continuing our discussion of service agreements. I'm Andrew Allen, and today with me is Gary Alex again. Today we're gonna dive into the specifics of service agreements, and that specific is pricing, how to price them, how to set it up with your labor costs, and how to make your service agreement pricing actually work for your company. So Gary, let's start big picture. What are the considerations that we all need to consider when we're starting a service agreement pricing program?
2: Sure, Uh, first consideration is, uh, am I gonna be break-even pricing, uh, or am I gonna be price for profit? Uh, So the idea of margin, making money, uh, pricing it so that there's an acceptable gross profit percentage there uh, to cover up the overhead of the department. Uh, is one way to do it. The other way to do it is more how we do it in our company is break even. So we've calculated our uh, cost structures, uh, how we're going to pay the guys. So the combination of the cost of goods sold plus the overhead of the maintenance division gives me a cost break even. Um, Let's call that uh, $50 per maintenance call. So if we do two calls, that's $100 break even. So $101 would be more than, you know, just $1 over Mm. break even. So the first consideration is, hey, philosophically, who am I? What do I want to do? Uh, Break even gives me an opportunity to generate more agreements. Uh, Pricing for margin gives me an opportunity to create more margin in terms of that individual product. The trade that you have to make in that discussion is um, I tend to have more agreements, which gives me more replacement opportunities, more accessory opportunities, more opportunities to sell certain things. So there's a balancing act there. So companies that have a hard time finding labor tend to be beneficial to go over towards the price for margin. Companies that tend to be more organized with their labor uh, and have more talent from the standpoint of having the labor, they tend to typically like the break even side. So uh, that's one we favored. Um, The second consideration would be sort of the product offering is, uh, well, what do I want to offer? And there's different kinds of products that we can offer. So standard precision tune-ups, maintenance agreements where we cover the full year, multi-year agreements where we're covering, say, three, five, seven, 10-year agreements. Uh, Extended warranty type products are also a part of that. Now, we have pricing tools that are going to go through all of those, okay? so we're going to take a look at you know, one individual template today. But if you look on the EGIA website, uh, you'll find details of uh, multiple spreadsheets with each one of those areas. So uh, if you want to do an extended warranty type pricing agreement, uh, that exists in terms of the content on the site. If you want something that's just a basic maintenance agreement, and we're going to take a look at that tool today, uh, just to walk through the fundamentals of, hey, this is the stuff that needs to be uh, considered in order to create a correct price, whether that's break-even or margin. So um, there's also the idea of task times. Um, you're going to get a wide variety of opinions about where people are in terms of task times. And the task time itself is, how long do I, am I going to take to actually complete maintenance agreement and so uh, we've always had our technicians drive that discussion how many uh, you know uh, events that we're going to do so whether that's a 23-point inspection a 19-point inspection Um, so we've had companies where we've worked with before that they've said you know I really want to I want to do an hour and a half to two hour tune-up we've had other companies uh, that have said you know 45 minutes to an hour to do a basic tune-up is fine so that's going to change the paradigm in terms of the pricing structure because we're paying the technician. Obviously, we're going to be spending more time there. So there's not a right or a wrong answer to that question, but the task times and the work that you're doing in the specification does drive the discussion of how much labor you're going to put into that. Okay, And so other considerations are travel time um, and uh, your geographic range of where you're at. Um, if you're in a market like Chicago, uh, there's 60 miles between sort of the top of the city and the bottom of the city. Um, if you're doing business in all of Chicago, I mean the travel time will drastically alter uh, versus if you're very narrow in the northern part of the city and you're trying to dominate a local marketplace uh, and maybe your dispatch times are 10 to 15 minutes, uh, obviously that offers you an opportunity to change the pricing metrics and so forth. So there's a, just a whole bunch of different things. And so I think the best thing to do is probably take a look at the spreadsheet. And uh, so if we… Yeah, if let's we, dive into that take a look at the uh, tool that's uh, available to you here on the site. Th- as I said, there's multiple tools, Andrew. Uh, so this is the first uh, generation basic tune-up. Um, so again, we call that the ultimate savings agreement. Uh, so this is all step-driven. Uh, so step one is just what is the base cost of my labor, and I just put in $20. Obviously, you can put in whatever you're paying your technician. One of the questions that comes up is, uh, you know, should I use my average wage, or should I use the wage of the actual precision tune-up specialist? who's doing the actual work. So we typically use the average wage because we don't know who we're dispatching out there. Uh, some companies will be task-based pay. Um, in our business, we are task-based pay. So in this particular situation, everybody in the company gets paid $20 per event, and that's a flat task, and that's known. So that has nothing to do with the service call. So a service technician might get paid $40, 50 $60 an hour, let's say, but the service agreement is $20, and that's the end of it. And so Hmm. the reason we do that is, that's an agreement we've made with the technicians because it's a slow season model, we're doing that. There is some payroll. They do have opportunities for lead turnovers, accessory sales, where they do get paid for those things. So they're willing to make the trade of the $20 task time for the idea that there's lots of other opportunities out there. Again, no right way to do it. It's just really, you have to decide what your wage is. So if you follow the spreadsheet, the next issue there is, What cost of benefits do you have? Um, So in this case, we're using 30%. Um, The next discussion then becomes, well, what exactly are we doing in terms of the task time? So we talked about the task times earlier. Um, 120 minutes represents two 60-minute tune-ups in this particular situation. So we're going to do two air conditioners in one furnace. Um, This would be a northern model. Obviously, if you were in the desert or you were out in Phoenix, um, we really wouldn't have you know, necessarily the, uh, the 90% furnace and your 60 minutes might not be your full, you know, uh, time frame for the task on the, uh, on the furnace side, uh, and you probably wouldn't even have a humidifier. So the minutes are essentially driven by the technicians describing the task times if they feel comfortable doing the work based on the precision tune-up. So two events plus the one furnace makes three events, 15 minutes for the humidifier. That gives me 195 minutes. We're looking at the minutes because we're really costing out what the break-even is here. If you look at the next line there, the next step in that process is, hey, how how many times uh, am I going to actually do this event? So in this particular example, we're saying the travel time is 20 minutes. Um, that could be 10 minutes, it could be 30 minutes, uh, it could be 45 minutes. It just is, it's whatever your average task time is, Andrew. And then the number of calls in the strategy. You'll notice there's two, not three. And that's because we're doing two travel time events, even though we're doing three tune-ups, the first tune-up we're going to do on-site on the service call. So the service call has already been paid for it to be there. So we're, we're actually using the diagnostic fee as the, ex- the recovery, if you will, for the very first call. Now, some companies don't want to do that. I'm just giving you an example here. So this is not, again, a, a recipe that can't be changed. Obviously, you can change it. So what that presents itself is a 40-minute uh, travel time. So that gives us almost four hours. It's 3.9 hours and change. And so that costs out at $20 you know, per flat hour at 101 dollars uh, We're gonna have some miscellaneous coil cleaner and parts and so forth. And so uh, there are no filters included in this discussion, although you can certainly put that in under 5B, under the parts. And then uh, the commission that's paid in this example is $10. Um, in our own company, we're paying $20. So for the first, uh, Uh, sale of the uh, service agreement. And then uh, what really this is driven to is step six and uh, step seven and eight are uh, options. Step six gives you the opportunity to put in a very specific gross margin. So if you're pricing to margin and uh, we're dealing with the idea that we want a margin percentage to recover, that's where you would just lay in, in this case, 45% and that will price the four hours at costing at $208 or what would be $209. If you, if you go to the break even model and you say, well, I really just want to break even, and you know the cost associated with your maintenance division overhead is 21%, then we can lay in a specific number, which in this case is $145, and that produces a margin of 20.8% or 21%. So that essentially is a break even price. So the lowest this company would ever want to go, if their overhead was 21%, would be 145. That would give them no profit or loss inside of their maintenance agreement itself. We would be betting on the come, we're going to sell some maintenance agreements due to lead generation, selling some accessories, selling some parts, some filters, and so forth. And so 145 is not a a high price, it's a low price in the marketplace by most standards. And so, your company specific metrics are going to have to be put into this particular pricing tool. And then ultimately, you just flow through the steps. You go through one through 10, you create a price. And so, if you're margin based, you're at 209. If you're break even based, you're at 145. And there's a difference in philosophy. The pricing tool doesn't care, it's just a methodology to get us down to the end game.
0: You know, as you can see here in the training, the level of detail and expertise that Gary brings to this topic is amazing. But it's just how Gary rolls. It's the same way I roll, the same way all the faculty here at Contract University rolls. This is why, this is the place you got to come to get the education you need to grow your business. If you're looking to take your business to the next level and you're not a member, fill out the form to the right of me and select a topic that you'd like to dive into. It's absolutely free. You know, one of the things you have to do with respect to selling maintenance agreements and service agreements, it's got to be part of your company culture. So I'm going to share with you a clip from this week's Ask the Experts call with me, Gary Alex, and Drew Cameron discussing the topic.
1: Drew, I know I'm on the low end in regards to service agreement club members, and I want to change. I know the training starts with developing a service agreement company culture. Can you explain what that is and how to get started? Um, yeah, uh, you know, a, a service agreement culture, uh, at least in my mind, is one that's based off of, you know, Coming to the you know, realization that maintaining the customer's equipment is is better than repairing it uh, you know, on a frequent basis, if you will, and, and, and maintaining that level of comfort and whatnot. Uh, so to get it started, I, you know, I would suggest that the the service manager uh, or owner, uh, if you will, uh, jump onto the EJA site. As Toby is kind of showing you here, and, and search anything and everything that's you know says service agreement in it. You can just search for those terms, and you'll find. Uh, documents, videos, processes, procedures, uh, pricing guides, video, the whole nine yards, everything, everything there. Gary's built a, a great platform, you know, online there and, you know, re- and reference that. And it, meaning if you don't know how, you know, how to go ahead and get started as the question suggest, and then, uh, I wrote down the dates here, for the, the classes that I see are coming up. Uh, February 5th, and I believe these are, uh, Gary's classes. February 5th, service agreements for year-round profits will be in Houston, Texas. And then uh, February 28th, building a selling technician, uh, mastering the technician communication, and that will be in uh, Irving, Texas. I'm not sure who the the trainer is for that one. But uh, those are two great classes. And and the first one certainly uh, is more geared toward the owner and service manager. And and Gary can kind of touch on those in a minute. And then the second one is also for the service manager and owner, because again, anything that your technicians, salespeople, frontline people are going to go through you as an owner or manager should certainly go through that as well. So that you understand what your people are learning and and how you can uh, build the infrastructure tools, resources, systems uh, internally, and then also support the people going through that. So, uh, you know, those are those classes. And then um, I, I, it's interesting because I was also teaching uh, this last week at a client here locally, uh, working with the service technicians. And I, I'm going to pull something that I just you know that we came up with because uh, how I suggest that you do this is if you if you try and take this to your service people and just cram it down their throat and say this is what we need to do this is what we you, you know, this is what you need to believe. Uh, And this is what you need to get your customers to believe. I don't think that's going to go over very well, uh, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, And and so I I like to see the owner or manager, if you will, lead lead a discussion uh, around this very topic and get the technicians, and this holds true even in sales training or customer service training uh, with your call takers and dispatchers and whatnot, where you're leading a conversation with the questions And you're letting the technicians in this particular case come up with the answers. And you know what the answers are, especially if you've gone to uh, Gary's classes or you get online and uh, study this uh, through the platform. And you can leave the questions to get the answers that you know are the answers, but get them coming from your people so that they take ownership and and buy into this process. And and so some of the things that you want to try and get out of them that they buy into you is that the culture is based on the mindset of, like I said, maintaining the customer's equipment. And and here's what what the guys came up with. Uh, It's in the best interest and it provides a better life experience for the customers. If we can maintain and or maximize the comfort, minimize untimely and costly breakdowns uh, that leave the customer without comfort uh, and scheduling time for inconvenient repair, uh, catch precursors to breakdowns, extend equipment longevity, minimize operating costs, offer ways to improve the user or customer homeowner experience, Get discounts on repairs, no extra time, uh, no extra charges. excuse me, for nights, weekends, or holidays, front of the line scheduling, extended warranty, savings on replacement and other products and services, loyalty credits, etc. Um, it also provides job, secu- uh, job security and benefits by guaranteeing a future book of calls. There's opportunities for installs, profits to fund the company's tools, training, and technology, as well as benefits and maintaining the, the the existence of the company, if you will, and so that was the list by me facilitating the questions that you know I'm telling you that I kind of got basically right from the platform that I asked the guys. We put them up onto a white a whiteboard, and I captured all those uh, by just leading that conversation. Now they believe that's not what I believe. I mean, certainly it's what I believe, but that's what they now believe, and and, and as a collective they got into it and we discussed it. This was a couple hour meeting, so. uh but they, we went down deeper deeper rabbit holes on this, and I got them to buy into that because now they own it. It's theirs, and then we're building the service agreement platform kind of off of that because you know what I came down to and what we distilled by the end of the conversation was the level of the customer experience that we as a contractor are willing to deliver, therefore by extension our technicians, our salespeople, our call takers, the level of the customer experience determines the customer's life experience. But it was pretty cool in the conversation in that the technicians also came to the realization, which is exactly where I wanted them to get to, is that the level of the customer experience that they are willing to deliver not only determines the customer's life experience, but it also determines their life experience, their coworkers' life experience, and the company's life experience, you know, if you will, and, and maintains that longevity of the customer. And so you know, I want to suggest that you build your culture around obviously the, the tools and the systems and the organizations as well as most importantly, and uh, and I'll toss it to Weldon with this thought before he throws it back to Gary. Uh, most importantly, the mindset, and uh, and and there's nobody better with talking about the mindset than Weldon.
3: Thanks, Drew. I appreciate that. And you know, I, I think what Drew was talking about there, I kind of you kind of weave in two very important uh, things together with respect to this question, and that is, you know, kind of the cultural thing, right, and then the actual execution of having a plan and you know i think one of the things that's so good about egia uh is that they had the wisdom to choose me and drew and gary to be the <laughs> the faculty i'm only kidding uh picking you guys was a smart thing to do but what they've done <laughs> is they, they they they've taken they've taken so many years of experience and different perspectives and pulled them together when you stop and think about what drew was saying you know i'm thinking okay well, now he's kind of talking about gary's leadership and culture class right building that culture whatever the culture is in this case you know towards maintenance agreements and then he starts talking about the actual plan the strategy and the execution now he's talking about you know the actual uh, maintenance agreement there's a whole program that's developed there on the website on the egia uh, not just on the best practices side but on the on one of the core 10 programs is is specifically you know building this part of your business and so you know, it's all right there. you have got so many years, decades of experience uh, from not just these two guys, but from other people who have contributed. Uh, live events, online, it's just, it's all right there. It's just a matter, literally, I mean, Drew's trying to answer a complex question, five, six, seven minutes. And, and obviously the question, you know, the answer rather is more complex than that. And and so that's the beauty. You get kind of a, a surface level view from, from somebody in this panel, but then it's all right there to dig in and get into. I will tell you that in my company, I was late to the service agreement party. I didn't really understand, I got into the industry knowing so little that by the time I worked as a salesperson and then got my own company, a year, year and a half later, I was two, probably two years, two and a half years into that company just trying to figure things out before I realized how important this whole thing was. And I remember when I finally got it, that that this was the core of my business when I started looking at really successful companies that I was really missing the boat. We did make it a priority, just like this question says. Uh, we were in the low end of maintenance agreements. It was not a part of our culture. It was not a part of our focus. We just didn't know what we were doing. But when I realized that it was, you know, we we made it uh, part of the culture by talking about it, talking all the things that Drew mentioned about how important it is for the homeowner's perspective. I've got a, one of my clients, and they describe themselves on their service calls and even their sales calls that we see ourselves as a a service maintenance company more than a repair company and that's why we're different that's kind of kind of the culture they've built in their company to sell more of these that we are we consider ourselves a maintenance and service company not a repair company like other contractors and we did something along those same lines and then we would just preach it constantly obviously incentivize incentivize the behaviors that you wanted and so we got our you know dispatchers and csrs talking about it the initial contact with homeowners and You know, they were incentivized to try to sell it. And then, of course, the service techs were trained. And as it becomes part of the conversation, that starts weaving it into the culture. It takes time, but it's conversations and it's ongoing conversations. Um, You know, I I read one time that, you know, good leadership is, you know, having a clear vision. So in this case, having a clear vision that we want to make maintenance contracts a part of our business model. Uh, You got to have the right team. You got to have faith in that team. And you got to remind that team every week that you or every day you have faith in them. And so we just started preaching it, preaching it, preaching it. Over time, uh, in, less than, uh, in less than two years, we had grown to about 3,000 maintenance agreements. And you know? also, uh, it was really an aggressive thing because I saw it as such an important part of the business.
0: Now listen, folks, I want to remind you, every other week, me, Gary, and Drew, we do our Ask the Experts call, a broadcast live at 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific time. That's 1 a.m. on the East Coast. Be sure and sign up here for a member because we'll answer your questions and you'll get a ton of great content. In this month's Snapshot Survey, we talked to contractors all across the country about a burning topic, right? Paid time off. How much paid time off do you give your employees? As we all know, many of us have full-time employees, and so this is a topic that comes up from time to time. Uh, You can see here on your screen, here are some of the results. One to five paid days off. 24% of companies uh, had one to five days. By the way, just above that, you can see 13% had zero paid days off. Uh, The big one there in the middle, 39%, offered six to 10 paid days off, uh, 18% had 11 to 15, and then at the bottom, 16 to 20 paid days off, uh, actually 6% of companies company. That's quite a, quite a bit, right? So it uh, gives you a good example of, you know, trying to figure out how do your benefits compare against your competition. We know that recruiting the best talent, we have to have great benefits, and paid time off is one of those things you should be considering. Uh, I'm going to scroll down and look at another response, and the question was, can employees earn additional paid time off through performance? uh... incentives twenty percent of companies let employees offer additional time eighty percent obviously do not So the thing here is to you know kinda analyze your policies with respect to pay time off how do you stack up again these benefits are going to be very very important as you know service technicians and salespeople and and installers and admin people everybody as they evaluate your company as a prospective employer they're going to be looking at your benefits you gotta know how you stack up next to your competition one of the things that we know this business, it's hard to find good people. And when you find those good people, you want to make sure you have the benefits to keep those people. And you want to have the kind of benefits that will attract, you know, the newer talent and the best talent in your market. So take a look at these survey uh, results and make sure you know where you are with respect to paid time off. Now, listen, we want to encourage everyone to participate in these surveys. The more feedback we get, the more information we get, the more accurate the statistics. So go to egia.org survey and fill out this month's snapshot survey. The well, Folks, that's our show for this week. We appreciate you joining us. Make sure that you're watching these videos and studying how to properly price your maintenance agreements programs. We'll see you again next week. Until then, bye-bye for now.